Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is June 18th, and our chapter for today is the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. Now, I must tell you that I had difficulty picking out just a few chapters in the book of Jeremiah. He is one of my favorite characters, and I identify with him so much in his life, his journey, and walk with God. We're going to get to chapter 18, and then we're going to look at 19 and Chapter 31, Jeremiah, as you know, is the prophet of the new covenant. It is articulated in the book of Jeremiah greater than any other place in the entire Tanakh, in the law, the prophets, or the writings. But I first want to just introduce Jeremiah to you. And so we're going to look at chapter 1. And remember, Jeremiah prophesied over a long period of time, I date his prophecy from about 626 all the way down to 586. So that's a long period to prophesy. It was a critical period in the life of Israel. As you know, the northern kingdom had already been destroyed and scattered and dispersed throughout the kingdom of Assyria throughout Mesopotamia and anywhere that the Assyrians had conquered. They decimated people. They would only leave about a tenth and bring in 90% from somewhere else. That's part of where the term came from of decimation is through the Assyrian Empire. They would scatter people and intermingle people and mix people so that languages and cultures and customs would not be the same. So it would take a long time for people to associate well enough to rise up in a unified rebellion against them. Babylon, on the other hand, took exiles. They took them to their cities where they could control them. That was the methodology and the strategy of the Babylonians, and we'll read more about them and talk more about them in the future through the remainder of the prophets. But Jeremiah was a man who was called from his youth. He lived in Anathoth. Now, Anathoth is an incredible place, not only for where it's located, but also the purpose of why Jeremiah would have been brought up there. If you will recall, during the days of David and Solomon, there were two priests, Abiathar and Zadok. They were the ones that were with David. They carried the ark. They uh, oversaw everything about worship during the days of David. But if you will remember, in the closing days of David's life, Adonijah, one of David's sons, wanted to be king. And so he got Joab, uh, the general who was in charge of the army, and Abiathar, we call him Abiathar in the west, they gathered together at Enrogel, the springs that are just down the Kidron Valley from the ancient city of Jerusalem, David's city, Ir David. When this was told King David, then King David wanted Solomon to be his successor. And so remember, Nathan and Bathsheba went in. 
and appealed to David. And so David told Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet to get his mule, take Solomon to the Gihon, which is the main water source of the city of David, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, to anoint him king. And so after the death of David, because of Abiathar's faithfulness to his father during the years of King David, Solomon would not kill him as he did Joab, but he banished him to the gates of Shaul. Now, the gates of Shaul is in Benjamin. It is where Benjamin truly begins the tribe of Benjamin, even though it's not the border, it is close to the border. And there near the gates of Shaul is the city of Anathoth. And so that's where the reject priests were sent. That's where the family of Abiathar was. And Jeremiah lived there as part of that group of priests that had been rejected. I personally believe this is why Jeremiah was not taken in the captivity, nor his family, simply because they were rejects. It was probably told to Nebuchadnezzar about Jeremiah asking that they not fight against the Babylonians, but surrender to them as God had instructed Jeremiah to do. I'll go into more detail about that, hopefully, in another podcast in the future. But Jeremiah was a reluctant prophet. In chapter 1 and verse 1, he is identified as part of the entourage from Anathoth. So Jeremiah was told by the Lord to prophesy. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, just introduce the book to you and Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah says God did that even while he was in the womb. While he was in his mother's womb, he was ordained by God as a prophet to the nations. Before he could do good or evil, before he could answer yes or no, God said, I've sovereignly done this. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak. I'm just a young man. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth. In other words, when God says something, we don't need to contradict him. Now, Thomas was in the habit of that with Jesus. Remember, this happened in John chapter 14. It's like another story of Jeremiah and his questioning God. And Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. Now that's what Jesus said. Thomas immediately upon Jesus saying, where I go you know, and the way you know, Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, Jesus, who never made a mistake, just said, Thomas, you know where I'm going and you know the way. Thomas said, I don't know where you're going and I don't know the who was right. Well, of course, Jesus was. Thomas had just been absent-minded and may have been absent altogether. That was not good. That was not worthy. And Thomas had a habit of doubting everything from everybody. He was a naysayer. Now, people sometimes will take up to Thomas and say, well, you know, is it? No, he was wrong. He was out of line. We don't ever need to be arguing with God. That's not fashionable. That's not obedience. We need to listen to God and say he's always right. And we don't know better than God. Jeremiah had to learn that lesson. 
But the Lord said to me, do not say to me, I am a youth. Now, that was an open rebuke. For you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Now, what a word from Almighty God that Jeremiah got that word from God saying, don't be afraid of their faces. You're going to do exactly what I tell you to do. I'll put my words in your mouth. You don't have to worry about what to say. I'll do it. And then it's amazing to me that what God told him to do, he told him six things that was going to happen. And four of them, four out of six were negative. In other words, his ministry was primarily one of judgment and of things that Jeremiah didn't want to say. Now you say, where'd you get that? Verse 10 is where I get it. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Now, what was that for? To root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down. And after four things that he told him that was bad that he was going to have to do, that was unpleasant that he was going to have to do, he finally said to build and to plant. In other words, four out of six things that God was going to ask Jeremiah to do were very negative and hard to do. In other words, he had to clear off a spot. He had to clear ground. He had to pull down, destroy. He had to do all kinds of things before he could clear a spot where he could build and plant. And then, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And he asked him what he would see, and he gave him all of these analogies so that Jeremiah would never forget that what God has called him to do, he's equipped him to do. Now, isn't this amazing? God doesn't need your ability. God needs your availability. God doesn't need your skills. God can gift you and enable you and equip you and endow you to do anything that he asks you to do. And so whatever it is that God asks us to do, we just need to trust him and get on with it. And so Jeremiah, from chapter 2 through all the way into the 20s, he is giving instruction that is really judgment that's coming upon the nation. And so let's pick up in 18. I've chosen 18, 19 because of the two analogies that are used to help us understand exactly the message about Israel. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. In other words, he did something to it that was unusual. It says that it was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. And so Jeremiah needed to see that the potter was in charge. And if the vessel was not turning out as it was designed to turn out, that that potter had the authority and the power to change it and make it into something else because he's the potter and the clay doesn't tell the potter what to make. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, O house of Israel, 
can I not do with you as this potter? In other words, I'm in charge, says the Lord, all capitals. Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, because God would never destroy a nation without warning them first and also to ask them to repent and turn because that is what has brought on the destruction and the judgment. He says, I will relent the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. The instant I speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom to build and to plant, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good, which I said I would benefit it. In other words, God says... If you do what I say, you're going to be blessed, and I will bless you. But the plans that I had to bless you, if you start turning away from me and rejecting me and disobeying me, then I will start over again, and I will bring judgment upon you. I can crush you. I can start over again. He gives both sides of the story. If you're headed toward judgment and you repent, I will do good to you. I will forgive you. I will redeem you. But if you're not obeying me and then you turn, I will do what I need to do either way, whether it's good or bad, because you, Israel, have disobeyed me. And if you disobeyed me and you turned, I would save you. But if you're doing good and you turn to evil, then I'm going to destroy you. Now, therefore, speak to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster, devising a plan against you. Return now every one of you from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. God said, If you will just obey me, we can change the direction here. I will rescue you. And they said, That is, Israel said, and their leadership said, that is hopeless. So we will walk according to our own plans, and we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. Now, that just about sums up rebellion as well as it's going to be summed up. Because that's what a man does. He says, now look, I'll do what I want to do. I'll follow my own heart. Don't you hear that a lot today? You just need to follow your heart. You just need to do whatever's in your heart. Well, the heart is desperately wicked who can know it. That's what the scripture says. And it's a warning from Almighty God. We don't need to do and follow what our own dictates of our heart says to do. We need to follow God's word. It is the only objective truth that will set men free and give direction. And this is what Israel did. Now, why am I saying this? Because the scripture says in Romans 15, 4, that the things that were written aforetime, that is the Old Testament, were written for our learning and our admonition. That we need to learn from the way that God dealt with ancient Israel, and we need to learn from them and not make the same mistakes that they did, not sin like they did, not be in rebellion like they did when they tried the Lord over and over again. God was gracious to them. He was merciful to them. He was long-suffering with them, and yet they kept rebelling. And God warns us through his relationships with ancient Israel to say, you are no better than they. If indeed I punished ancient Israel, I will punish you who are part of my body. Because Jesus is more concerned in righteousness 
than you feeling good about yourself. You see, when we get to the point to where we think we know more than God, and many do get to that point, then God says, I'm going to deal with you, and it's not going to be pleasant. So this idea that God is all love and snowflakes and that he never brings judgment upon people, he never disciplines people, just God is love, God is love, God is love. God is also righteous, and he's holy. And he's just, and he always does the right thing. He never makes a mistake. And God, in his love and mercy, said to Israel, you either repent or judgment is sure upon you. They did not, and judgment came. The temple was destroyed. The life and culture that they had was totally destroyed before their very eyes, and they went into captivity and were scattered all over the earth. And so the same lessons we need to learn so that we walk with God. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is always right. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.